0: Judges chapter 12, verse 1. The men of Ephraim were called together and crossed to the Jordan to Zephon, to Jephthah. And they said to Jephthah, why have you crossed over to fight against the Ammonites but didn't call us to go with you? We will burn your house down with you in it. Then Jephthah said to them, my people and I had a serious conflict with the Ammonites. So I called for you, but you didn't deliver me from their power. Then I saw that you weren't going to deliver me. I took my life in my own hands and crossed over to the Ammonites, and the Lord handed them over to me. Why then have you come today to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead. They fought and defeated Ephraim because Ephraim had said, You Gileadites are Ephraimite fugitives and terrorists of Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. Whenever a fugitive from Ephraim said, let me cross over, let me cross over, the Gileadites, ask, the Gileadites asked him, are you an Ephraimite? If he answered no, they told him, to, told him, please say Shibboleth. If they said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce it correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of, of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 from Ephraim died. We begin this morning in chapter 12 with some tribal issues that occurred because of Jephthah's victory over the Ammonites. Just as they had done to Gideon in chapter 8, the Ephraimites expressed resentment that they had not been invited to participate in the campaign against the Ammonites. They appeared before Jephthah as, as, as a phone and threatened to burn down his house for slighting them because he had dared to go to battle without them. And again, if that sounds familiar, because, well, the same thing happened in chapter eight um, with Gideon, as I mentioned earlier. Now, true to form, in just Jephthah's style of negotiating, he tried to talk his way out of another crisis with a carefully cra- crafted logical dispute that consisted of five parts. First, he begins by introducing himself by informing them of having been involved in a serious conflict with his own people and with Ammon. Second, Jephthah accuses the Ephraimites of failing to respond to his call to arms by claiming to have summoned them to rescue him from the Ammonites. Third, he praised himself for his own initiative and courage in the critical moment he and his men crossed over to the Ammonite camp after having realized no help was coming from the Ephraimites. Fourth, like all the other judges that preceded him, Jephthah acknowledged the role the Lord, the Lord in the victory over the Ammonites. And fifthly, he rebuked the Ephraimites for threatening him implying that it was foolish for them to do so now after he gave his argument um, his his speech I can just imagine in my mind him dropping the mic and saying what now you know I'm just you know are you with me or are you against me do you have a problem with me or don't you as his encounter with the with the Ammoner, as was his encounter with the Ammonite king, Jephthah's Ephraimite foes are not dissuaded from their course of action, and they pursue the same ends as the just defeated Ammonites. In addition, they also provoke the Gileadites by questioning their legitimacy within the land and the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And you can see here, that he, he, they provoked them so much that he was calling them terrorists. They, um, they called them fugitives. That's how intense this argument was. Now, for them to do this, this, argu- this, this provocation, would be similar to a Texan accusing a resident from one of the American island territories such as maybe Puerto Rico or or Samoa or one of those other territories accusing them that they're not American citizens that's how that's how this it, it seemed like that's what it was like but behind these the Ephraimite veil of anger threats and prejudicial attitudes were the sins of pride and jealousy just as they had done with Gideon in chapter 8 they became jealous that Jephthah not an Ephraimite had taken the mantle of leadership in Israel in their pride this was something that they wouldn't accept and were willing to go to war to prevent from happening now in my opinion one of the most dangerous weapons the devil uses to cause the greatest damage within a body of believers is a bomb called jealousy. The reason it's so dangerous is because it's the kind of bomb that sneaks into the believer's heart and mind when they become spiritually complacent. If it's not recognized, and disarmed before it detonates. The explosive shrapnel made of cruel words and actions will cause extensive pain and suffering. This bomb called jealousy has been known to damage churches, ministries, friendships, families, and even cripple a believer's relationship with the Lord. James 3.16 says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists there will be disorder and every vile practice I've personally seen and heard the harm jealousy can cause among Christians and typically it's because of these two reasons they think those who are jealous think that Someone else, another Christian, maybe a brother or sister, is undeserving of God's blessings. See, rather than being jo- joyful to see God's blessings on others and seeing them be, be elevated, jealousy will make a, make a Christian bitter, unfriendly, and make them envious. The other reason is that they may feel like their position, the position they're in, is threatened by another person. What this kind of attitude reveals about someone is that they're looking to elevate themselves with their works to gain favor with man and with God. Now one of the issues Paul had to deal with when he wrote to the Corinthians church is uh, where people who said they were believers but in reality, their actions and behaviors said otherwise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, he writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with spiritual milk, not with solid food, because you weren't, still, you weren't ready for another for anything stronger and you still weren't and you still weren't aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature you are jealous of one another and quarrel, quarrel with each other doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature aren't you living like people of the world let me tell you uh, a sign of maturity within a believer is desiring others, desiring desiring other believers to be blessed and elevated into positions of leadership. We have to make an effort. You have to make an effort to work alongside of those who God is using. You're on the same side. You're on the same... You guys are running the same race. You guys are trying to the goal is the same you are striving for the same results and what is that to see more people come into the kingdom of God your prayers ought to be that God rains his blessings on all believers and not just the people you like Ephesians 618 says pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer request And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. As Christians, if we truly love God, then there ought to be no room for jealousy among us. However, there is a kind of jealousy that ought to exist among us, which Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 11.2. And there he writes, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. That ought to be us, and be just not want anything or anyone to corrupt, defile the body of believers. We ought to have a godly jealousy. Now, unfortunately, this wasn't the case with the Ephraimites. And in the ensuing battle, we read that the Gileadites were victorious over the Ephraimites. Now, since the Ephraimite army had crossed over to the, the Jordan River to attack Jephthah in the Gileadite territory, after their defeat, they now had to retreat the same opposite way. They had to cross back. Now, knowing this, Jephthah's strategy was to take control of that part of the Jordan River to prevent the escape of the retreating forces and kill every Ephraimite who tried to cross the river. Unfortunately during the Ephraimite retreat it was difficult to tell the difference between innocent civilians and the enemy combatant. So the Gileadites devised a test to distinguish who is who by listening to their accent to hear how they pronounced a certain word. And that word was uh, Shibboleth. Those who couldn't pronounce the word correctly were identified as, as an Ephraimite soldier and they were killed because the Ephraimites couldn't pronounce the SH. They could only say the S, Sibboleth. They couldn't say Shibboleth. Now, as a result of this plan, it, we see that a total of 42,000. Military soldiers, Ephraimite military soldiers, had been killed. Civil war. All because of jealousy, all because they, someone wasn't invited to a battle. God had already selected Jephthah and said, already gave him a plan, and Jephthah followed it. And the Ephraimites weren't happy about it. They were just, they were angry. That they weren't invited to the fight and now because of that civil war ensued and at the end of the day again Jephthah was victorious and 42,000 Ephraimite soldiers were killed the legacy of Jephthah concludes by telling us the amount of time he judged Israel and where he was buried after he died now the next the last part of verse 12 um, yeah verse 12 we see that there's a brief period of peace after his battles, and there's no specific mention, there's also no specific mention that the land enjoyed any peace, like in all the, in all the previous chapters, which may suggest the overall declining situa- situation of Israel at that time. From verses 8 to 15, we're given the names of three more minor judges that followed that. Uh, proceeded Jephthah the amount of time they judged Israel and where they were buried now these three minor judges had no apparent military function so they may have just served as just as just regional administrators now as we continue in chapter 13 it, again it's another short chapter and with the remaining time that I have, I want to read and then share with you some important points about it. I want to do this because this is going to be the last week in 2000, in this year, that we're going to be in Judges. But um, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be, um, well, you know that next week is, is Christmas Eve. We're going to have a special Christmas Eve service. And then, um, I believe the week after that... Uh, we have another special service but we're gonna be picking up back in uh, we're gonna be picking up in chapter 14 on our first Sunday of January and we're gonna get right into the story of someone that we all are familiar with in this book someone that we all have heard of as maybe as children reading Bible stories but I want to get into a detailed account of, um, well, actually, this chapter gives us a, gives us a detailed account of how he, how he was born. So now let's turn to chapter 13 and, and read that. Chapter 13. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines 40 years. There was a certain man from Zorah from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah, his wife was unable to conceive and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, It is true that you are unable to conceive and have no children, but, how will, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now please be careful not to drink wine or beer or eat anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Then the woman went and told her husband, A man of God came to me. He looked like the awe-inspiring angel of God. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. He said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Therefore, do not drink wine or beer or anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth until the day of his death. Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, let the man of God you sent come again to us to teach us what we should do for the boy who will be born. God listened to Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman. She was sitting in the field, and her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman ran quickly with to her husband and told them the man who came to me today had just come back so Manoah got up and followed his wife when he came to the man he asked are you the man who spoke to my wife I am he said then Manoah asked when your, when your words come true what will be the boys responsibilities and mission be the angel answered man- Manoah your wife needs to do everything I told her <laughs> She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, or drink wine or beer, and she must not eat anything unclean. Your wife must do your wife must do everything I have commanded her. Please stay here, Manoah told them, and we will prepare you a young we will prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to him, "If I stay, I won't eat your food. But if you want to prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord." For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to him, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your words come true? Why do you ask my name, the angel of the Lord asked him, since it is wonderful. Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it them on a rock to the Lord. And he did a wonderful thing while Manoah and his wife were watching. When the flame went up from the altar to the sky, the angel of the Lord went up in its flame. Then Manoah and his wife saw this. They fell face down to the ground. The angel of the Lord did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We're going to die, he said to his wife, because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had intended to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from us, and he would not have shown us all these things or spoken to us now like this. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew, and the Lord, and the Lord blessed him. He began to direct him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtoal again short chapter 25 verses and as you can tell the focus of chapter 13 are the events leading up to the birth of Israel's one of of Israel's legendary judges and well-known Bible heroes and who is that? It's Samson. As usual chapter 13 begins with the words we've seen before. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But no details are given as to what that evil was. Now given the history and what we've already seen in previous chapters, it wouldn't be wrong to assume that this evil was more than likely the worship of foreign gods. Now due to this, the Lord once again handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. The story then immediately jumps into two of the three key figures of this chapter. Manoah and his wife. The only details were given about them is that Manoah was from the tribe of Dan and that his unmarried wife, I mean, I'm sorry, and his his, um, married wife was never able to have any children. One day as they were going about their everyday business, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and gave her the best news of her life. Now before we get into that news, you know, some of us may, may wonder, who was this angel of the Lord? Well, I believe it was the same person that appeared to Israel in chapter 2 and to Gideon in chapter 6. I did cover that um, in those studies, but as I said in those chapters, I explained why I believe this angel was none other than the pre-incarnate bodily manifestation of Jesus Christ. In other words, this was Jesus appearing, Jesus Christ himself appearing in bodily physical form in the Old Testament prior to his birth. And a lot of theologians, the, the theological word for that, for, or as, theologians call that a Christophany. Now there are several other examples that you can look at um, that we see the same thing um, happening but here again the evidence shows us that this was an actual person that appeared to Manoam and his wife and again more than likely it was uh, Jesus Christ. Now based on the fact that she didn't immediately freak out we can assume that at this point she felt pretty comfortable talking to this guy. This was a stranger an actual person that came and just started talking to her, and you know sometimes when you talk to someone, you get that strange feeling like ah oh, this person's kind of shady. You know I need to be careful. You know what I say, but she it appears that she felt pretty you know, at ease with this, with this stranger, with this messenger. He then tells her these four things. He confirms to her that he knows that she can't have any children. He informs her that not only will she get pregnant but will also give birth to a son. The angel then politely requests that the child be raised as a Nazarite. He then finishes his interaction with her by letting her know that her son will rescue Israel from from their Philistine oppressors. Now afterwards she goes home and describes to Manoah everything she remembered about this messenger and what he had told her. However, if you notice, she left the most important detail out which explained the purpose of her son's birth. And we're not sure why she didn't mention it or why Manoah didn't ask, but maybe mentioning it, mentioning that detail would have made the story less believable. Manoah then prays that this man of God will return to teach them more about how to raise this child. Verse 9 then tells us, tells us that the Lord listened to his prayer and that the angel of the Lord appeared again to his wife while he was somewhere else. But as soon as she saw him, she sprinted to Manoah and when she brought him, she brought him, the angel confirms that it was he who spoke to her. Manoah then asks him what the child's purpose would be and he answers by pretty much repeating what he had told his wife. The conversation again then shifts when Manoah requests that their guests stick around for a little while longer so they could prepare a young goat for a meal. However, the angel refuses the meal and instead suggests to them that the young goat be sacrificed to God. His intent was to point Manoah toward a correct understanding of who he was. But Manoah still he couldn't understand it, he couldn't get the hint. Manoah then asks him, What is your name? So they could at least give God thanks for him after the baby is born. Now the New Living Translation probably has the best interpretation of how his reply was originally written in the Hebrew. Verse 18 in the New Living Translation reads like this, Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied. It is too wonderful for you to understand. The entire sacrifice is accepted in a miraculous way. When fire coming from the Lord consumed it and as the fire from the sacrifice went up to the sky another miracle took place the angel of the Lord went up in its flame now upon seeing this and and I understand his reaction Manoah and his wife fell on their faces to the ground in a classic attitude of worship suddenly Manoah realizes who they were just in the presence of and begins to panic. He begins to freak out thinking he and his wife were just about to die. Now why would he think that? Why would he assume that? According to Exodus chapter 33 verse 20. According to that verse no one can see the face of God and live. So for him in his mind, oh we've just seen God And now we're gonna die. He's panicking, freaking out. As he's freaking out, his wife, on the other hand, realizes that something truly marvelous had happened. She understands. She puts everything together. And this is why we need wives, because sometimes we'll we don't we can't put two and two together and you know, usually the wives can figure things out better and easier than us, quicker than us. But she realizes well, what's going on here and she puts him at ease, calms him down and says, Hey, if he wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have accepted this burnt offering, and he would have killed us, but we're not, we're alive. So she explains to him why they weren't going to die. As the man of God, the, this angel of the Lord promised, Manoah's wife does give birth to a, to a child and she names him Samson, uh, which means little son. This child not only survives childhood, but is also blessed by God. The chapter ends by letting us know that Samson was, uh, that after Sam, when Samson was grown, the Spirit of the Lord began to direct him. And usually when the Spirit of the Lord falls, as we've seen, when the Spirit of the Lord falls on somebody, they're pretty much designated as Israel's new judge, Israel's new deliverer. Now I honestly think, don't think it's a coincidence that the last passage we're covering here in Judges, that we're covering in th- this year in 2017 has many of the similarities of what we'll be celebrating in eight days. Yes, Christmas is in eight days. The birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I think we can find many similarities here, but I'm just going to name a few. Here are just some important similarities: the, the appearance of the angel to a woman informing them that they will have a child, specifically a son. Both women were told what the child's purpose will be. Samson's purpose would, would be to save Israel over the power from the power of the Philistines. Jesus' purpose would be to save all mankind from the power of sin and death. Both births were unexpected. Manoah's wife was barren and Mary was a virgin. And both children would be dedicated to God before and after they were born. Now at the time of the announcement Israel was being oppressed by another nation in our passage here it was the Philistines and in Jesus's day it was the Roman Empire everything about Samson and Jesus Christ was intimately connected with three things a promise a name and a sacrifice now regarding the promise According to verse 5, Samson was born, lived, and died according to the merciful promise and purpose of God to save his people. According to 2 Timothy 1.1 and Titus 1.2, Jesus Christ was born, lived, and died because of God's promise to save those who trust in him. Now regarding the name, everything about Samson was related to and for the glory of the name by which the angel of the Lord revealed himself to Manoah and his wife. Verse 18 of our passage tells us that this, the angel's name was wonderful. According to Isaiah 9.6, Jesus Christ would be known as wonderful because of everything that he would accomplish. Now regarding the sacrifice... Everything Samson was and did for Israel was connected with, arose from, and pointed to the sacrifice. The sacrifice made in verses 19 through 21 of our passage is a picture of Christ, the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for us. Just as the angel did a wonderful thing while Manoah and his wife were watching, so too Jesus did a wonderful thing at Calvary and just as the angel went up to heaven in its flame Jesus did also when he ascended up to heaven while the while the disciples watched. In the last part of verse 20 we were told how Manoah reacted. Manoah and his wife reacted when they saw what the angel did. Then in verse 21 we see that Manoah finally understood who the angel was This is also a picture of what happens when an unbeliever finds out about about everything Jesus Christ did and the conclusion they come to when they realize who Jesus Christ really is. My question to you is have you allowed Jesus Christ to reveal himself to you? If you haven't, all you have to do is just open the door to your heart And let him in. As you can see, chapter 12 tells us about the end of one judge's life. And chapter 13 tells us about the beginning of another. When you allow Jesus Christ to come into your heart and make him your Lord and Savior, the chapter of your old life ends. And a new chapter begins. A chapter that speaks about how you were born again. Now if that new chapter hasn't been written in your, I, I do I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But before this new chapter is written the old one has to end by believing in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you repenting of your sins and surrendering your life to Him if you're watching or listening and and you see that you understand what Christ did on the cross and, and you've been hesitating or or there's you know you know what the truth is but you've never surrendered your life to him and and you see that now and that's what you you want a new chapter in your life to be written you want that old chapter to die to go away if that's you you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a minute in a, in a simple prayer to accept Jesus in your heart. But just understand that you know, you must be willing to surrender yourself to Him. see, there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No other person died for your sins. No other person can save you. No other, there's nothing else It's only Jesus Christ. And if you were to die today without Him being your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that's it. You don't have any other opportunity. Your soul, you will eternally die. And again, the Bible tells us that in hell, there's just nothing but weeping and gnashing of the, tr- of, of the teeth and there's pain and agony, eternal separation from God. But if that's, that's not what you want and you, and you want that assurance of eternity with the Lord, all you gotta do is just take that step. Surrender your life over to Him He cares for you. He loves you. He was beaten and bloodied and tortured and nailed to a cross. All for you. If you're ready to commit your life to Him, wherever you're at, if you're watching or listening, pray this in your heart with with just a sincere heart with, with completely meaning it. Just pray this. Lord Jesus, I come before you and confess that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that Almighty God raised you from the dead. And I now ask that you forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, and you are born again, I said, it's simple, just understanding that you're a sinner, repenting of your sin, and accepting the forgiveness, the free, free gift of forgiveness from, from God, you're born again, I suggest you reach out to people. Go find a church, a good Bible-believing church. Surround yourself with Christians. Don't no longer be trying to be, be influenced by the world. Stay away from bad influences that are just gonna keep you down. Now again, it's gonna be challenging, but you know, it, it'll be rewarding. Again, as we close here, I hope you can see again that visitors, man, make a big difference chapter 13, there was, in chapter 12, there was visitors that were provoking and were intent to start beef with Jephthah. And because of that, 42,000 people were, were killed. These are the worst kind of visitors. Chapter 13, we see the best kind of visitor. It's those that bring blessings, those that bring you joy, those that care for you and want to see the best for you. Let us strive to be those kind of visitors, especially as we go out during this holiday season to see family, friends, those that we disagree with. Look to be that good visitor. Be a blessing to others. That's so how you show your love. That's how you show your love as Christians. By just letting go of the hate and discontent and the arguing and the fighting. And just allowing God to use you to love that other person. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the story of Jephthah, story of Samson's birth or your word has the power to change lives and we see that in these two chapters Lord, we, we may, may we see or we fall short. May we see that if we're acting like the Ephraimites, if we're acting out of jealousy, if we're doing anything out of jealousy, Lord, reveal it to us. And may we be may we be humble enough to be able to to change that, Lord. Lord, we want to be obedient, children. We want to. We don't want to do anything for our own selfish for our for ourselves. We want to do everything for you, Lord. Lord, show us again where we fall short. And in those areas, forgive us. And teach us, Lord, how to just love more. Give ourselves, give of ourselves more. May we look for ways to elevate others. May we look for ways to to just pray for others so that they may be blessed. Even those that we may not necessarily like or you know, those that we don't necessarily get along with. But we just, be, may they just be blessed, Lord. Bless us next time of fellowship, Lord. Keep us safe. Keep our family safe. And just protect us from any harm, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.